understand it's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. Welcome to this week's episode of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. My name is Sean. I'm your host, coming to you from London, Ontario, Canada. On this week's episode, we look at the Smash Wrestling calendar with action starting again tonight in Montreal. Well, here's part two of the Enzo Amore panel from London Comic Con, and then get into the major event news from WWE and do predictions for NXT War Games and survivor series happening tonight and tomorrow thank you for joining me be sure to subscribe to us like us and share it with you your friends and family so they can listen to us as well you join us on twitter at scumbags canada and over on instagram scumbags wrestling and for sure on facebook with our scumbags wrestling podcast page and our scumbags wrestling group page We'll be right back after these short messages. If you're looking to get into the wrestling business, check out the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory. This school is located right here in London, Ontario, Canada. Learn from one of Canada's best wrestlers around. It's located at 309 Exeter Road, and it's open Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, 6 p.m. till 8.30 p.m. The Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory, teaching the new generation of hopefuls into superstars. The Signature Spot with Chris Toplack is a weekly podcast available every Thursday that covers the world of professional wrestling. It's an easy-to-digest show that ranges from 30 to 40 minutes in length and focuses on show recaps, highlights from the week, industry news and rumors, full event previews along with predictions, topics of the week, and featured guests such as journalists and fellow podcasters. It's a professional yet personable show that's all about connecting with you. To subscribe, head over to youtube.com forward slash the signature spot or listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available. And to be a part of the conversation, like the signature spot on Facebook. Hello, do you or someone you know have a business that you'd love to have advertised here on our podcast? Well, give me a shout at our email address, scumbagswrestling at gmail.com, and let us know how 
we can help you advertise to the listeners of this podcast. We'll give your business a shout out, including information on how people can reach out to you and information on your services. Smash Wrestling has been dormant for a couple weeks after they just completed the Canusa Classic here in London, Ontario during London Comic Con. But tonight, November 17th, Smash Wrestling teams with FLQ to present Challenge Accepted in Montreal. Tensions have boiled over, and now Montreal is going to be the site of the explosive first match between Sebastian Suave and Daniel Garcia in their Best of Five series. Kevin Blackwood revealed Shane Sabre is a member of Scotty O'Shea's kill screen and will now face him one-on-one. The new Kevin Bennett experience of Kevin Bennett and Halal Beefcake are in action as they take on Mike Rollins, Evil Uno, and Brad Alexis. Due to injuries sustained by Vanessa Craven recently, Jody Threat will now take on Lufisto. The FLQ Tag Team Championships are on the line as the Pillars, Brent Banks and Tarek, look to add more gold to their collection when they take on the champions, TDT. Stu Grayson is going to put his FLQ Championship on the line, a challenge accepted against Smash Wrestling's Tyson Dukes and FLQ's Handsome JF in triple threat action. It's another opportunity for the Pillars to gain more gold for their collection. Plus, in a special triple threat match, you'll see Scotty O'Shea versus Matt Cross versus Teddy Hart. For those with VIP tickets, you'll be treated to a very exclusive match featuring Kevin Blanchard versus James Stone. All this happens tonight, November 17th, in Montreal, Quebec. Then, Smash Wrestling goes to Brock University, November 23rd, at Isaac's Bar and Grill in St. Catharines. In action that night, you'll see Fight or Flight, Puff, Sebastian Suave, Daniel Garcia, Kevin Blackwood, Tyson Dukes, Jody Threat, and Kevin Bennett, plus many more of your favorite Smash Wrestling stars. November 23rd at Brock University, St. Catharines. On December 2nd, Smash Wrestling returns to the London Music Hall for Control. Alt, Delete, a filming for the Smash Wrestling Network TV show on Fight Network. We were all shocked to find out that Dylan Andrews' trusty sidekick was Puff. One person who wasn't happy, however, was Andrews himself, who has demanded an opportunity for retribution. He goes one-on-one with Puff on December 2nd. We watched as Psycho Mike Rollins' conscience interfered in his last match here in London, and he almost left the oven on. On December 2nd, we'll see what his conscience has to say next, as Rollins takes on two of the most fierce ladies in Smash Wrestling roster in a triple threat match, as he takes on the wild child, Jody Threat, and newcomer in London's own, Violet Lee. After defeating the former Smash Wrestling Tag Team Champions, the Well-Oiled Machines, Halal Beefcake will get a shot at the new Smash Wrestling Tag Team Champions, the Pillars, Brent Banks and Tyson Dukes. Don't miss the Pillars defend the Smash Wrestling Tag Team Championship against Halal Beefcake. Kevin Bennett won the Rec Room Rumble in Toronto for a shot at Tarek's title. Kevin is taking that shot in London during Control-Alt-Delete. 
Match number two of the Daniel Garcia and Sebastian Suave Best of Five series will happen at the London Music Hall. Will somebody get a 2 nothing advantage, or will this tie up the series? At the free show in Toronto at the Rec Room, Kevin Bennett revealed the other two members of Killscreen as being Ontario's Shane Sabre and Mark Wheeler before being attacked by Anthony Gaines with a keyboard. In light of this, the main event for Control-Alt-Delete will be one of Smash Wrestling's most dangerous matches, as Kevin Blackwood and Scotty O'Shea will face off in a keyboards match. This may be the most violent match we have ever seen in London. Tyson Duke's Wrestling Factory graduate, Jim Strider, will take on Cody Diener. All those with VIP tickets have reserved ringside seating. Get a collectible ticket, in-ring photo with Tyson Dukes and Violet Lee, plus a one-month free trial for Smash On Demand and entry to a VIP-exclusive raffle draw. All this happens at the London Music Hall, December 2nd. Control-Alt-Delete. Then on December 16th, In Your Dreams, Smash Wrestling filming for the Fight Network, happening Sunday, December 16th, at the Franklin Horner Community Center in Toronto, Ontario. The self-proclaimed King of the North, Carter Mason, will challenge Marco Stunt. After a great outing at the Rec Room Rumble, there'll be a four-way match featuring Dream the Muscle, Brent Albright, John Greed, and Puff. Psycho Mike Rollins takes on the legend from Japan, finally making his Smash Wrestling debut, Kikutaro. The Pillars, Brent Banks, Tyson Dukes, and Tarek take on the Kevin Bennett experience of Kevin Bennett and Halal Beefcake. Casey Spinelli returns to Smash Wrestling in Toronto, taking on Jody Threat. Both women scored important points for Team Canada during the Canusa Classic, but this time there will be no overarching distraction between them. In Your Dreams will be the setting of the third match for the Sebastian Suave Daniel Garcia Best of Five series. Can one man sweep, or will they both be battling for the advantage in this final show of 2018? A special attraction match will feature Jimmy Havoc taking on PCO in a hardcore match for the first time ever. Plus, this is what happens when you piss off a locker room. Pepper Parks made it clear that he's bringing a crew with him to Toronto on December 16th, including the Butchers, Andy Williams, and Tyler Bateman. He's demanded an opportunity to pick up the scraps of anything left off from Kill Screen after the keyboards match in London. That's In Your Dreams, Smash Wrestling filming for the Fight Network, December 16th at the Franklin Horner Community Center in Toronto. Tickets are available at smash-wrestling.com. In 2019, you can join Smash Wrestling in Kitchener, Ontario at the Taste of the Tannery for Heavy is the Head. Matches are yet to be announced, but it's also another taping for the Fight Network. Then on March 23rd, Mariposa Mayhem is presented by Smash Wrestling and Barry Wrestling. It'll happen in the Aurelia Christian School in Aurelia, Ontario. And this has been your Smash Wrestling calendar. Last Sunday in Toronto, Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling presented Global Wars. It happened at the Madame Athletic Center in Toronto, formerly known as Maple Leaf Gardens. 
We had a handful of scumbags in attendance and even at ringside for this event and hope to have had a report back from them, but unfortunately due to timing, that did not happen. However, here are the results of what happened that evening. Karen Q defeated Caitlin Diamond in a singles match. Hangman Page defeated Chucky T. Naito and Bushi defeated TKO Ryan and Vinny Marscalia. Matt Taven defeated Christopher Daniels. The Briscoes, Jay and Mark Briscoe, defeated Evil and Sonata. Flip Gordon defeated Jonathan Grisham. Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky defeated the Super Smash Brothers of Evil Uno and Stu Grayson to retain the ROH Tag Team Championships. Juice Robinson defeated Beretta, who was subbing in for Cody Rhodes. The Young Bucks defeated Chris Sabin and Kushida, and in the main event, Jay Lethal retained his ROH Championship against Kenny King. Are you looking to get your own Scumbags Wrestling t-shirt or the Scumbags Podcast t-shirt? Well, look no further than our friends over at Twisted Tees at TwistedTeesMerch.com. Since their company launched in 2006, they've become one of the top screen printers known for their large, colorful, high-detailed prints. Their theory behind what they decide to print is simple. It's about keeping it real and taking you back to your early years, browsing through endless movies at your local video store, only to be sucked in by the very intriguing cover art. Even if the movie itself wasn't so great, it's that original cover that will always remain locked inside your head. Over the years, they've become even more creative with introducing limited edition designs. With the amazing feedback they received from their Warriors and Zombies hoodies, as well as their button-up work shirts, they will bring you even more one-of-a-kind designs. All their products are screen-printed and embroidered directly in their shop. They don't use any outside sources to produce their goods, nor do they use cheap iron-ons. They guarantee heads will turn when you wear Twisted Tees to your next outing. Twisted Tees also provides printing for Kill Effect, Shock Stock, Monsters of Schlock, Shadow uh, Windbrook, and Vagrancy Films. So look out for Twisted Tees online, once again, at TwistedTeesMerch.com and get your own Scumbags of Wrestling t-shirt for just $25. Hey, it's Jody Thread, and you're listening to Scumbags Podcast. And now, here's part two of the panel from London Comic Con featuring Enzo Amore, former WWE superstar. Sheesh. 
right, at this point, we're going to open up the questions to you, you all in the audience. Does anyone have a question for Enzo? What is your favorite WWE moment? For myself? My favorite WWE moment for myself is when I wrestled in Madison Square Garden. Uh, it was crazy because me and Big Cass grew up going to Madison Square Garden shows our whole lives. My grandpa saw, uh, my grandpa took me when I was a kid. Uh, he, he, I saw Bob Backlund get beat by Diesel in eight seconds, right? Now that was a valuable life lesson for me in wrestling because when I look back at pro wrestling, as I was in the locker room and I was backstage, I want you to think about what I took from that night. There was eight matches on that card, okay? There was probably about 20 to 30 wrestlers in that Madison Square Garden show when I was only a kid, I was about eight or nine years old. There was guys who probably jumped off the top rope and hurt themselves that night, guys who dove out of the ring, guys who took a bad body slam, and they hurt themselves badly. The only thing that I remember from that night was Diesel beating Bob Backlund in eight seconds. How easy was that for him? That's the easiest night of work a wrestler could ever ask for. When you watch Hulk Hogan go out there, and he just went like this, and people went nuts, there's a lot of money in that. The Rock, if you smell, and everybody says it with him, right? The Rock with the elbow, the dumbest finisher ever. Take the elbow pad. Right? There's a dance to that. Tino, uh, Santino with the deal, right? These things, I realized when I was backstage, it ain't about wrestling moves. It ain't about jumping through the ropes, showing everybody I can work. All right? Write on the internet all you want about Enzo and his wrestling abilities. Thank you. It, it bodes well for me, trust me. What my job was to put a wig on, right? And when you kick me in the face, I take the kick and I go, and I fall, the wig flies in the air, all you people will laugh way harder than if I did a dive through the ropes, all right? So I realized in that moment at Madison Square Garden, looking back at it in retrospect, that eight second easiest night of Diesel's life was the only thing I remembered. And my job as a pro wrestler is to make you remember me. How do I do that? The best way to do it is to introduce yourself. My name is Enzo Amore, right? I hit the whole deal and I introduced myself because the, there's people in the crowd that have never been to a wrestling show in their lives and they don't know who I am. So I make sure I introduce myself and I run out backwards and I run out different because why? I'm different. I put a little bit of leopard print on everything I wore. Why? Because when you're at Walmart, you see a shower curtain that has leopard print on it you tweet at me, oh, hey, I saw the shower curtain and I thought of you. Exactly, you thought of me. I infiltrated your brain. You associate leopard print with me. These are marketing endeavors, all right? I had a different aspect and a different view on the business, I think, than anybody I worked with, and it bode very well for me, but I can't tell other people how to do what they did. But the greatest moment for me was Madison Square Garden for that very reason. 
Me and Big Cass wanted to wrestle at Madison Square Garden our whole lives, and we always thought we'd do it together. And we came up through the ranks together. And every time there was a Madison Square Garden show, Enzo and Cass were in Chicago. Enzo and Cass were booked in California. And we never got on the show. And, and, and it, it sucked, and I hated it. And then, during the holiday tour, I got my first ever opportunity to wrestle in the, the arena that, that made me love wrestling. It was bigger than WrestleMania for me, and it was actually pretty nerve-wracking in comparison, weirdly enough. But when I did Madison Square Garden, everything happens for a reason, and timing is everything, and I have the utmost blind faith in my life and the way things have worked out, the way the crookies crumbled for me. And if you really look at the run I had in the WWE, I don't think you should second-guess what I'm saying, but the first ever match I ever had at Madison Square Garden was a title match that I won. There was a reason why I never had a match with Big Cass, because it was meant to be me fighting for a title in Madison Square Garden that night, going over with my finisher and dropping Kalisto in front of Jimmy Fallon for three minutes. Jimmy Fallon's in the front row, just dropping Kalisto in the guardrail, going, this could be you! All right. and, then, and then I turn around, I go, Jimmy, this one's for you. And I turn around and Kalisto super kicks me and I fell into him. So I, I, everything happens for a reason. I was a heel that day. I had to go out there and make Madison Square Garden my home, hate me, which, which I didn't want that, but that's what I had to do. Uh, I played a character on TV, you know, it was a role. So uh, if I was a heel, I tried to be the best possible heel I could be. Whatever Vince McMahon wanted me to do, that was my job. And when I was in the ring with Big Cass, the, the, the story is the simplest story ever told, right? Everybody, you, you can talk about wrestling moves and this, that, and the other. We're building a hot tag. We're making it so that when I get Big Cass in, this place goes nuts. That means I don't hit any wrestling moves. I go down when you punch me in the face. Punch me in the face, watch me fall. Because when I fall, the people are gonna cheer for me to get closer and closer to Big Cass. And every time I get closer, the place is gonna go nuts, right? The simplest story ever told. Little guy, big mouth, can't back it up, needs to get the big guy in to finish the job. Let's not reinvent the wheel. I had the easiest job, and so that's what I did. Uh, WWE is kind of well known for having that constant touring schedule. Um, with that, having a break from that, did you find it more jarring or relieving? And when it comes to your upcoming hip-hop career, is the possibility of a tour something you're super excited to get back into or something you're a little anxious about getting back into the grind of? Uh, I live right here, brother, on stage with a microphone. So that, that transition into hip-hop is something I'm extremely excited about. It's been a long time coming. Most people don't know my story as far as that goes. I was discovered as a rapper in New Jersey. I had never wrestled before in my life. I was a rapper before I was a wrestler. So when Enzo Amore walks out with a microphone and everybody follows along with me, it's a, it's a pretty seamless transition if you ask me. I mean, it was, it was, it was self-evident back then what it is that I was, and it's, I think, even more self-evident now. Uh, I think that I don't want to mince with what Phoenix was with who I am. Uh, also, beyond that, you know, I, 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 before I drop my music, I, I think people should know that I treat my music at times, but not all times, like wrestling. It's propaganda. 
Some of it's real, some of it's not. Okay, so I'll let people decipher that. Uh, but, you know, for me, the scheduling that I had in the end, uh, I watched Neville, who's a good buddy of mine. Uh, most people didn't know that either, uh, thinking that me and that guy hated each other. He was my best friend. Uh, Neville had the hardest schedule in the WWE because he went to wrestle on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then he showed up on Monday Night Raw, and then he either got a jet, a rental car, or figured out a way to get to SmackDown because it wasn't booked very close. Usually they did 500 miles in between SmackDown and Raw. So every single Monday night, I would fly on to home or, you know, get a, get a you know, flight the next day. Neville was driving on to SmackDown, man. And I was watching him, he was my partner. I drove with him on the road. And I was like, you know what? Like when he wanted to, uh, you know, go settle down with his wife and have kids and, and, and maybe potentially in a, and live in the house that he bought, a year prior, he had manifested leaving the company, and we manifested how he was going to do that with me. I went to Vince and I told him I want to work the hardest schedule in all of pro wrestling. I want to ease the burden for my best friend Neville here. I'm going to wrestle on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and I'll have the hardest schedule in all of pro wrestling. And I was the most televised pro wrestler in all of pro wrestling from my rookie debut until the day I left, which most people don't realize. And I was handed a microphone every week, which means Vince McMahon is putting the lifeblood of the company on your hands. All you need to do on a PG product is to slip up, do something bad, say something wrong. They gotta trust you. So Vince trusted me, and they had me out there more than any other superstar, and I was blessed with those opportunities, but it takes its toll. It takes its toll. And the time I spent on 205 Live was the best time I had ever had in my career on camera. But that life that you saw as a heel portraying on camera and, and things of that nature, you know, I really lived it. I'm not gonna sit here and blow smoke like I am who you think I am. If you see me out at the bar and you go, Enzo, you want a drink? I'm gonna go, hell yeah, brother. Let's hang out, you know? I, I, my life was different than the other wrestlers. I can't compare walking in another wrestler's shoes compared to Enzo Amore's because when Enzo Amore goes to the bar, he's never alone in a city where he has a wrestling match. If we're in Chicago and I have a wrestling match there and I, I'm at the hotel and there's fans waiting outside for me and there's no fans for maybe, you know, one of the wrestlers who wears a mask and nobody knows who he is, you know, I, I, I I wore it, I owned it if I was out and I wasn't covering up. It's hard to hide that beard, this crazy hair, these hand tattoos. So when people saw me out, I never ever say no to a picture, which is a Hulk Hogan rule, and I, I never say no to a picture. So if I was out, I owned it. And uh, there's, there's some dangers that come along with that, obviously, as we see. Uh, you go out there and you live that life, you understand when I'm in London, Ontario, I don't know you. So if you tell me your name is Bob, I'm gonna take your word for it. Your name's Bob, right? Well, you're gonna meet women along those lines too. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you gotta live carefully. You know, uh, I really lived that Ric Flair lifestyle though when I had the Cruiserweight Championship, uh, but my body paid for it. Not so much my mind, because I was loving life, but uh, I was having a hard time getting out of bed every morning. I was having a hard time working all these matches and driving, because I drove alone. 
Uh, I drove alone the probably the last six, seven months, a year I was on the road, and even before that at times. So you drive alone, you're putting yourself through the ringer, four or five hour drives every single night. You're flying in on Thursdays into LA, you're partying on uh, you know Wednesdays when you land in LA, let's, let's be real, I live in the hills, and you know, and I get one day off out of the week, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna hang out. Thursdays, I'm catching a red eye out of LA to any show on the East Coast. I have one day off that week, and that went on for eight months. So one day off a week, eight months out of the year, and booked on uh, appearances more than any other wrestler. So they were running me dry, and it was it was hurting me. And uh, I think the only thing that was getting me through it was that feeling you get when you're out there. That feeling when you're in the ring and you hear people, and you're getting the response that you wanted to dictate. And uh, it's, it's just a... Uh, it's a wild, wild world, man, that wrestling world. And it'll take years off your life. Trust me, I paid for it. So uh, it's the price of fame, though. So, you know, you, you enter into this lottery. When your number gets called, don't be surprised. So my question, I guess, would be, what do you think killed the CWC to the 205 Live crowd? Was it the... Uh, constant changeover of the ropes and ring mat. What could bring back the uh, 205 Live Cruiserweights to what they were in the CWC since you wanted to go to 205 and work the hardest schedule possible? I think uh, the reason why I wanted to work 205 Live was because if you if you look at the locker room when I was in NXT, it was pretty much the same as when you get to the main roster. And I never wrestled before I got to the WWE elsewhere. So if you look at the CWC, that's a whole locker room of guys I've never even locked up with, right? And they're a locker room of guys who have to sit at home every single week on Friday, Saturday, and Sundays, and they get flown to TV on Monday Night Raw and Tuesday SmackDown, so they only work two days a week. And wrestlers, we get paid to wrestle. So if you're not working, you're not making money, right? So these guys are only working two days a week. Well, despite any preconceived notions of what you heard, I've had a great relationship with the, the cruiserweights and the locker room, and they'll, probably, they'll definitely probably tell you the same thing. The reason why is because when I came into the cruiserweight division, it was a plan that I had manifested, literally on paper, talked to Vince about with the music and the, and, the, and the opportunities to do our own live tour. When a guy like me comes into the cruiserweight champion division, people are going to be skeptical. The guys in the locker room, the fans, I was sure as shit. I knew exactly what I was doing. So I sat them down and uh, I talked to the boys for the first time. I said, thank you for letting me be here. Uh, we're gonna go on tour. We're gonna have our own tour and you guys are gonna get work on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. And you know, we're gonna make Cruiserweight Division great again. Jobs. <laughs> no, I'm playing. <laughs> uh, so it, it, was, it was about putting food on the plate for these guys and that's how you earn their respect. I earned their respect because I already had it based on what I was doing out there, getting reactions in a, in a certain, but then I earned their respect more when I kept my word and the ratings went up, uh, people got paid more money, literally, like those heel tactics, 
a lot of times heel tactics on TV, as I learned from Michael Hayes, P.S. Michael Hayes, you ever heard of him? He's a WWE producer. He told me when I was first becoming a heel, something I was pretty much aware of, but he said, just take facts and ooze them out of your mouth, cocky. <laughs> right? So how does that work? So if I'm the champion, that makes me the best in the world, that's a fact. It doesn't matter what you think. You think I can't wrestle? I'm the best in the world right here, and that's what this thing says. That's a heel, right? Well, as a heel, I'd be out there with a microphone saying, hey, the 205 ratings just went through the roof. And I'm not lying, why don't you go look at the Forbes article that just came out last week because the network buys are going up. And then the guys in the locker room, they're going on a cruiserweight tour for the first time ever. People had faith in the vision because confidence is contagious, make no mistake about it. But when you believe in yourself so much like I do, other people start to believe in you too. So that's it. And, and as you, were you asking about what's going on with it right now though? Yeah, like... I've never watched well, I mean, 205 Live or a Cruiserweight show, not even when I was on it, ever. And I've never watched myself, ever. I've never seen my WrestleMania match, ever. I don't watch myself, it's the Roddy Piper school of thought. If it felt good out there, don't watch it. All right, that's what I did, and it worked. Other guys, they sit there on Twitter and Instagram directly after their matches, they read the comments, they battle back, they block people. I didn't read anything that anyone ever wrote about me. I never Googled my name, ever. I went to work and I had a job, and I just did that job. And I know that's hard pressed for a lot of people to believe, but maybe that's why you get a cup of haze. I don't know. But you know, for me, I was having the time of my life and if it felt good, I didn't watch it. If something bad happened in the ring or there was a mess up or something happened, I would watch that back. I, if I had a really bad match, I'll watch that back. But you know what, I never, never had a really bad match. So. Coming April 26th to the 28th at the Ramada Inn, London, Ontario, it's Shockstock. Shockstock is London, Ontario's premier annual horror and subculture con convention. Each year we bring, for a few short days, the real deal in sleaze, horror, and exploitation with celebrities, events, and vendors who know what the fans want. No insane lineups, no curfews, no problem. Enjoy jam-packed vendor rooms, a full weekend-long film festival with awards and fully stocked bar and lounge with nighttime events on-site and more. Submit your film via Film Freeway at filmfreeway.com shockstock. Presented by London's own Sultans of Slime, Vagrancy Films, The Grim Brothers Entertainment, in association with Fangora, Raven Banner, and of course, Bob's Ultimate Meats. My name is The Muscle, Smash Wrestling's hottest free agent. I toss bodies and wheel hotties, and you're listening to the Scumbags of Wrestling podcast. The major WWE news that came out this week all revolved around what happened on Monday and Tuesday with the television. Both Raw and SmackDown focused on the build-up to 
tomorrow night's Survivor Series. On Monday Night Raw, we saw Finn Balor added to the men's elimination match after defeating Dolph Ziggler. Lashley was also added to the men's team as he defeated Elias. With the humiliating loss that Kurt Angle took last week from Drew McIntyre, even topping out to his own ankle lock, it totally took Kurt Angle off the card and not even a part of the men's team as suspected that he was supposed to be a part of. Where the storyline goes with him from here is unknown. Maybe it'll just be a last run of a retired wrestler or a Hall of Famer trying to get his last big win and maybe lead up to WrestleMania. We saw Dean Ambrose confront Seth Rollins on the video screen as he sat on a car with a flaming oil drum beside it and he threw his flap jacket in there saying that the shield was what was weakening him instead of making him stronger. Braun got Stephanie to give him matches with Baron Corbin and Brock Lesnar provided he was willing to be a team player for their Survivor Series representation. Depending on how things work out at Survivor Series, we can very much see where Braun Strowman's TLC match and Royal Rumble matches are going to be laid out, facing Baron Corbin and Brock Lesnar, respectively. Earlier in the night, Ronda Rousey had mocked, in almost a heel fashion, Becky Lynch for being a millennial and loving avocado on toast and all the other things that millennials love, even though she is a millennial herself. Later, Ronda would regret those words as she was attacked backstage by Becky Lynch, who had her in a armbar and beaten down before Becky made her way to the arena to confront the ring that was full of raw women superstars. Just as the commentators were wondering if she was going to be dumb enough to try and face the whole roster by herself, the rest of the SmackDown roster ended up sneaking in from behind, and a whole brawl broke out between all the women from Raw and SmackDown. At one point during the brawl, the SmackDown women had control of the ring, and you can see Becky Lynch was bleeding profusely before Ronda Rousey ended up coming down and clearing house, trying to stand off the SmackDown invasion. Of course, Becky did get a couple shots in with a chair before they all ran off for safety. The show ended with the focus on Becky Lynch, who had had to wipe off blood from her face, but standing tall and challenging Ronda from afar, uh, basically acknowledging that she wasn't afraid of her. From there, unfortunately, that's where things went downhill for Miss Becky Lynch. It was shown in fan footage from an opposite side, plus the WD showed a very isolated version of it from their hard camera side. But the reason why Becky's face pretty much exploded was that she approached a corner where Naomi and Nia Jax were fighting. She turned Nia around and they were going at it back and forth. The three of them were, and Nia then turned around and looked Becky in the face from what I saw in the video and actually plowed her really hard. And it wasn't really a potato and there's going to be comments coming up from Chris Jericho uh, that I'll read, but it definitely did not look like it was a accident. Becky sustained a 
broken nose and was deemed to have had a concussion. If you check out the WD Facebook page and their website, there's actually a six minute little vignette of what Becky went through the day of SmackDown when doctors told her that unfortunately she was not going to be cleared to face Ronda Rousey Sunday at the Survivor Series. Becky was advised that she would now need to choose a suitable replacement for her in her match against Ronda. So, later on that night, all the women from the SmackDown locker room were in the ring, and Becky gave a speech about how she was not cleared, but she really wanted to still face Ronda, but had to make a decision on who would replace her. She eyed each lady as she went down the uh, row and the fans were giving their cheers and jeers throughout that and some of the ladies were even posturing themselves to be able to be picked like Asuka was. Unfortunately for Asuka it was not her chosen and instead it was Charlotte who Becky has just finished a huge feud with and they shook hands and even hugged possibly out of respect and possibly with something else going to unfold this Sunday. So now it will be Charlotte taking on Ronda in a match that was supposed to happen at WrestleMania and possibly main event WrestleMania. And the script might be totally flipped with now Becky being able to be that main eventer with Ronda Rousey with how fueled that match was going to be. It was truly looked at as one of the main events, if not the main event of Survivor Series this year. The rest of SmackDown saw the Usos selecting the rest of their team in the tag team elimination match. He had Jeff Hardy beating Andreas Cien Almas to be chosen to replace Daniel Bryan, who was removed from the men's team. Miz lost to Rey Mysterio to retain his spot on the men's elimination team. Paul Heyman had started off the show and sparked a argument and brawl between AJ and Daniel Bryan, which resulted in Daniel Bryan challenging AJ Styles for the WWE title at the end of the show. And in so doing it, he ended up turning heel and hit AJ low and regained the WWE championship. Now it will be Brock Lesnar against Daniel Bryan, a match that was supposed to happen I believe, at SummerSlam 2014, but didn't happen, and it ended up being Brock Lesnar versus John Cena instead. So now Daniel Bryan is going to get his wish to go against Brock Lesnar in a David versus Goliath-ish sort of feel. However, now it's going to be both of them as heels, so I don't know how that's going to work out. And it makes now two matches on the card that are heel versus heel, which really never work out well. Could this heel turn of Daniel Bryan's work in his favor and actually be a heel turn? Or will the fans treat it almost like how Becky Lynch and her supposed heel turn was and not be accepted and still be cheered and just give Daniel Bryan more of an edge? It was announced that bigger stakes are on the line now for the winners of the Mixed Match Challenge, which up until now had just been filled of round-robin matches, and they're always having some sort of comedy uh, 
extra thing to it, whether it was a dance break or a wrap off or whatever was going on. And this week seemed a little more serious as they're getting now to eliminations starting next week. But the new uh, stakes in the match or the format tournament will be that the winners of the whole mix match challenge will earn the 30th spot in the Royal Rumble. Plus, they're also going to get a trip anywhere they want around the world, which one would hope that if that's going to be meaning anything to anybody, that it's going to end up being WD cameras following those people on their dream vacation as a thing for the network. As also seen this week on Raw, there's no longer going to be a run over on the three-hour format. How for years it's always gone to like 1110, 11.05, uh, you know, past 11 o'clock. They're now going to be strictly cutting them off at 11 o'clock like SmackDown gets cut off right at 10 o'clock. Tomorrow night after Survivor Series ends, the WWE Network is going to present a 365 feature with AJ Styles with his year as champion. And that is quite interesting that they put that together just as he ended up losing the title this past Tuesday. Also, WrestleMania 35 tickets went on sale the other day and they pretty much sold out really quickly for at least the tickets that were released at that time, and now there's just some scattered tickets remaining in that, those areas. With the injury to Becky Lynch in her face, courtesy of Nia Jax, there's been a lot of question about whether Nia is safe or not. Uh, this isn't the first time she's actually hurt somebody. She's hurt Charlotte twice, Bailey, Sasha. She just recently hurt Zelina Vega when she uh, didn't throw her out of the ring properly. During the Evolution uh, pay-per-view, I believe Alexa Bliss might even be on that list. And then if you see that video of what actually happened, and not just the uh, little clip that WWE actually showed, and you see it from the fan view on the other side of the ring, it looks really bad. Like, it was either a very sloppy or she intended to do it. Uh, there was no holding back on that one, and that's not a safe worker. On the recent Talk is Jericho this week, Chris Jericho gave his point of view. He said, if you see the punch she takes, oh my gosh, it didn't look like a potato. It looked like a legitimate, deliberate punch to the face. But whatever, we'll hold off for judgment on that. Chris also said, uh, potential heat backstage on Naya. She uh, did knock the fuck out of Becky, uh, so maybe she might get a little office heat for that. You never know what's going to happen in the wacky world of WWE. So even if somebody like Chris Jericho, who's been in the business so long, has seen this video as well, and he thinks that it was deliberate, I don't know what else you can really say. What are your thoughts on what happened with Nia Jax and Becky Lynch? Was it an accident? Did you see the video? What do you think should happen? If this is an ongoing thing with Nia hurting her co-workers, and it's a sport or 
entertainment where you have to trust the other person that you're with and she's constantly injuring them, how much longer are people going to trust that she's not going to do it to them? So have your say. Give me a shout over at the uh, Scumbags of Wrestling podcast page or Scumbags of Wrestling group on Facebook. Yo, this is Tarek. You listen to Scumbags of Wrestling. Punch, kick, chop, done. Want to be a wrestler? The time is now to join the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory. The first class is going to graduate in October, and it's going to leave a lot of open space. Learn from one of Canada's best wrestlers and trainers around. Tyson has been wrestling since 1997 and has wrestled for Blood, Sweat, and Years, Border City Wrestling, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, WWE, was part of the first Cruiserweight Classic, and one of the longest reigning champions for Smash Wrestling. Tyson just recently spent a week in Florida as a guest trainer at the WWE Performance Center. The Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory is located at 309 Exeter Road in London, Ontario and is open every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday evening from 6 p.m. to 8.30. Find out why Tyson is one of the pillars of Smash Wrestling. The Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory teaching the new generation of hopefuls into superstars. Hello, do you or someone you know have a business that you'd love to have advertised here on our podcast? Well, give me a shout at our email address, scumbagswrestling at gmail.com, and let us know how we can help you advertise to the listeners of this podcast. We'll give your business a shout out, including information on how people can reach out to you and information on your services. Hey, you're listening to the Scumbags Podcast. It's your boy Aiden Prince. Do you like things a little hot and spicy? Well, come to the first annual Heat Wave Hot Sauce Expo, March 2nd, 2019, at Centennial Hall. Heat Wave Hot Sauce Expo is southwestern Ontario's home of heat. Enjoy your sauce and spicy food from over 40 international producers. All vendors are providing free samples of their sauces on nachos or pretzels, or you can buy some meaty chicken wings at the show and spice them up however you'd like, with hundreds of choices available from our vendors. Fans attending get a totally unique experience with an A's theme motif and atmosphere on the show floor. The event will be licensed with craft beers and spirits available for consumption to pair with your perfect sauce. As well, live podcasts, demonstrations, and competitions for those who wish to test their limits will take place on the heatwave stage. For fans of spice or those just seeking an afternoon of heat, heatwave is your place to go. Heatwave takes place Saturday, March 2nd at Centennial Hall in London, Ontario, Canada. Tickets available right now. This is a huge weekend as WWE presents one of its major four pay-per-views, the Survivor Series. 
coming to us tomorrow night from Los Angeles, California at the Staples Center. But of course, with it being a major pay-per-view, NXT will be starting the weekend off later on tonight as they present War Games, part of NXT TakeOver. Unlike other NXT TakeOver events, this one's only going to have four matches on the card. We'll start off with the NXT Women's Championship. Carrie Zane challenging Shayna Baszler for the NXT Women's Championship. This is a rematch from three weeks ago when they fought over the title at WWE Evolution. However, this is the fifth time that these two ladies have gone against each other, and the first time was back at the Mae Young Classic Finals of last year, where Carrie Zane ended up winning and becoming the first Mae Young Classic tournament winner. Since that time, they've traded wins back and forth and are pretty much even at two wins and two losses apiece. During that time, the title has also been uh, passed back and forth between them. As seen at Evolution, though, Shayna Baszler didn't do it by herself, as she had a lot of help from her four horsewomen members, Jessamyn Duke and Marina Shafir. Unlike last time when they were sitting at ringside and did cheap shots to get involved with the match and cause Carrie Zane to lose, this time they should be at ringside with Shayna Baszler to support her. Due to the history that these two ladies have with each other over the last year, William Regal decided to make it a best two or three falls match to settle the score once and for all. In this case, I have a feeling that Duke and Shafir are definitely going to get involved in the match and probably help Shayna Baszler win the first fall. They might get caught by the referee in the second fall and be kicked out of the arena, allowing Carrie Zane to even up the score and tie it at one fall apiece before going to the final and deciding fall. With my thoughts of what's going to happen tomorrow during Survivor Series, 
and the Ronda Rousey-Charlotte match, I have a feeling that Kerry Zane will end up winning the NXT Championship back and then face off eventually down the road with Bianca Belair, who's been on fire lately and should be the number one contender for the champion. Next, it's the most anticipated grudge match 
in NXT with Johnny Gargano facing off against Aleister Black. Johnny Gargano has taken a step over to the dark side thanks to all the torment that he had from his feud with his former tag team partner and best friend, Tommaso Ciampa. Their feud got so intense and brutal between each other and even involved Johnny's wife, Candice LeRae, that Johnny seemed to have snapped and his focus on getting revenge on Tommaso Ciampa and trying to get that NXT championship has definitely sent him over the edge. Fans will recall that Johnny Gargano ended up costing Aleister Black the NXT championship when he accidentally hit Black with the title, allowing Ciampa to get the victory. They were set to do a three-way match with Gargano and Black challenging Ciampa for the NXT Championship at the last takeover. However, Black ended up getting taken out in the parking lot, and nobody knew who did it. The whole summer entailed a whodunit type mystery, trying to figure out who actually took out Aleister Black, preventing him from getting a chance at his NXT Championship. Every wrestler was questioned where they were. There was video footage from different angles happening at Full Sail University in their parking lot, but it seemed only Nikki Cross seemed to know who it was that actually took out Black. Cross played games with Ruling and Regal for weeks as the investigation happened, not telling who actually did it, but claiming she knew who it was. It wasn't until Alistair returned to NXT that she told him what had actually happened. When Black called out Gargano, Gargano responded by taking out Black yet again. Johnny still doesn't feel like he did anything wrong, and he's still a good guy, even though he did that one act of violence on Aleister Black, preventing him from getting the chance at the title. The way I see this going, I can see Johnny Gargano getting the win, over Aleister Black on this occasion, and it extends all the way to the next takeover during the Royal Rumble weekend, where Black can finally get his victory back, get his revenge on Gargano, and then move on to the Royal Rumble the following day, and be brought up to the main roster. champ's title you're at the top they will always try to chop you down i have a feeling that his reign of terror well it's just getting started be careful and stay out of the champ's spotlight look at how much he loves that nxt championship Loud and clear. 
confidence, but he has been successful inside an NXT ring. It's the people who have just caught on. seen a kid like Velveteen Dream get put in my spotlight crack under pressure when I want to confront someone I do it in front of an audience and Tampa right on top of the man that will challenge for his NXT championship I do it on the biggest stage possible I'm the champ you don't share my spotlight with all the eyes of the world on me doesn't get any more perfect than this. Los Angeles. NXT goes Hollywood. With the entire world watching, do the lights get any brighter? Your experience ends. One shot at the NXT Championship. My legacy, the next thing you know. The Champa legacy. Tommaso Champa taken out by Velveteen Dream. Velveteen Dream has gone about this entire thing the wrong way. Show respect. This means more to me than anything Velveteen Dream has ever experienced in his life. You're a smart man. You are a dangerous man, Tommaso Ciampa. But you're a blind man. That anger, that rage, all you see is red. And if you can't see the Velveteen Dream coming, just stay blind. Velveteen Dream sending his own message to the champion. The ultimate spotlight is the NXT Championship. She'll be on my list, shining brighter than ever. The spotlight isn't what you think it is. Belgian Dream cannot hang in my league. They chant his name, and he thinks he's accomplished something. People understand what the dream is capable of. They've seen it. I soak in that spotlight. Tommaso Ciampa is a scared little man acting like he runs the place. There has been a lightning bolt that has struck NXT this past year. They're looking at him. Velveteen Dream, you step into my spotlight. I promise you, it will burn you to the ground. The NXT Championship is on the line as Tommaso Ciampa defends against Velveteen Dream. Ever since Patrick Clark became the Velveteen Dream, he's been on a meteoric rise in the ranks of the NXT. Some of his best matches have been against the likes of EC3, Aleister Black, Johnny Gargano, Ricochet, Pete Dunne, Adam Cole, you name it. He's gone against them all, and whether he's won or lost, he's come out looking amazing every time, and for such a young age of only 23 years old, he has learned so well at being a superstar since adopting the Velveteen Dream persona. At the same time, he's going against one of the best heels in the business today, Tommaso Ciampa. And as I said just a little while ago, his feud with Johnny Gargano was the best feud that NXT has seen in a very long time and was definitely feud of the year last year. I don't think anybody expected him to get the title, but that's how things ended up going, and he has it right now. But tonight, he goes against Velveteen Dream. This is going to be an amazing match between these two, and 
it could actually steal the show. Like there's so many things on this very little card that is going to wow the crowd no matter what. And I hope the audience is really hot for the whole event from start to finish. And they give everything to these guys in the long run. I'm not sure who's going to win this one. Johnny Gargano could be a factor. Alistair Black could be a factor because he wants the title back. And there's so many more people who could be involved. But if it's just down to one-on-one, I think Tommaso Ciampa could still retain the title, even though I would love to see Velveteen Dream win. My final pick on this, going back and forth and basically tossing a coin, I'm going to go with a new champion in the Velveteen Dream. I'm probably the youngest champion in NXT history. It's 
side of war games. Here we go again. Can you imagine all these eight men locked inside of that war game structure? And there is nobody in NXT or all of WWE who can handle war games like the Undisputed Era. You asked for this. Finally, we get Undisputed in the cage. They have nowhere to run. This isn't going to be a fight. This is going to be a war. And finally, what will probably be the main event. It is what they're all there for and why there's two rings with a steel cage hanging above it. It's War Games, the second one for the NXT brand. And this time they're going back to the actual traditional rules as opposed to the wonky rules that they had with the three teams and three on each team, nine person War Games that totally didn't make sense to me. And the Undisputed Era ended up winning that one. This year, they're going to have a traditional four-on-four, two teams, and going every other person entering the ring. The Undisputed Era make their way back to the War Games as Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, and Roderick Strong, who was on a different team last year, all will take on the team of Ricochet, Pete Dunne, and the War Raiders. This past week on NXT, Kyle O'Reilly ended up winning the advantage for the Undisputed Era by defeating Hanson in a one-on-one match. That now means that after the first period, Undisputed Era will get to send in their first member of the team and making it two-on-one before the other side can send in their second member. The match will continue going every other person until the final member is into the ring and then it becomes the match beyond where only submit or surrender will end up winning the match. Unlike the NWA and WCW version of war games, there is no roof on this cage and it has the traditional WD rim all the way around it and no roof. So there's bound to be some high flying coming off it, especially with the likes of Adam Cole for the Undisputed Era and, of course, Ricochet on the other team. In the end, I'm not sure if the babyface team of Ricochet, Dunn, and the War Raiders can actually hang together because they couldn't really decide who was going to represent them when they were sending out somebody against Kyle O'Reilly on NXT. And I think this might continue during the match. And I've never really bought Pete Dunn as a babyface, especially after seeing how he first entered the WD with the UK Championship Tournament. That guy is not babyface material. I can see him turning on Ricochet and them actually having a feud going forward and a match maybe at the next TakeOver during Royal Rumble weekend. And Triple H likes to mix things up. The traditional thing with the war games was always that the horsemen had to lose. They had the advantage, and then they would end up losing in the end because the babyface team 
would end up conquering. However, last year, the Undisputed Era won. That's not traditional war games type rules. I could see it happen again. It helps keep Undisputed Era looking strong, and then it goes against the tradition of the babyfaces always winning and gives Undisputed Era a second win two years in a row at War Games. Now we're going to go through some of the Survivor Series matches and predictions for tomorrow night, once again, from Los Angeles, California, at the Staples Center. We start off with Buddy Murphy defending the Cruiserweight title against Mustafa Ali. They have a two-hour pre-show, so I'm not sure if this is on the main card of the pre-show. I'm betting it's on the pre-show, as most Cruiserweight championships seem to have been defended there. On this one, I'm a bit torn because Buddy Murphy did, did win the title off of Cedric Alexander in that match in Australia and Melbourne in his hometown. But then we have Mustafa Ali, who battled Cedric Alexander for the title at WrestleMania, just got through this whole feud with Hideo Itami to become the number one contender. If given enough time and it's on the pre-show, then this should be a really good match. And I can see Buddy Murphy retaining the title. The other match that is definitely going to be on the pre-show is the tag team elimination match with Team Raw, captained by Chad Gable and Bobby Roode, along with The Revival, Scott Dawson and Josh Wilder, the B-team of Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel, The Ascension, Connor and Victor, and The Lucha House Party, a combination of Kalisto, Grandma Leek, or Lindsay Dorado, are going to take on the SmackDown team, captained by The Usos, Jimmy and Jay, along with The New Day, a combination of Kofi Kingston, Big E, or Xavier Woods, along with Sanity, a combination of Eric Young, Killian Dane, or Alexander Wolfe, The Good Brothers, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, and the Cologne family, Primo and Epico, making their return to a WD television screen after being in obscurity for a long while. Honestly, one of my favorite matches from the earlier days of the Survivor Series was the 10-on-10 tag team versus tag team match at the first two events, especially the second one, where you saw Demolition turn and so did the Powers of Pain. So it was a double switch at that event, and I think the match did go like 42 minutes or something like that, but... I actually enjoy the combination of the tag teams because I love old school tag team. But this one, I'm not so sure about because the way the tag teams were dealt with on Monday as a joke pretty much being destroyed by Braun Strowman and then coming back out to determine who was going to be captain. Meanwhile, basically only one team was going to be eliminated from participation as Rhino and Heath Slater are not part of that match. And the Raw guys look really weak and useless. And I don't like that. I think tag team wrestling should be 
a honored tradition like how it used to be. That's how you end up getting some great stars like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels that when they finally grew out of their tag team life, they were able to go forward and become great single stars. The same thing can still happen in any tag team combination today and still provide great matches. I really can't say much for the same side of the SmackDown guys because unless you're the Usos or New Day, Sanity, Good Brothers, and the Clones have not been used at all and have just been a surprise that they actually showed up the other day to be given SmackDown t-shirts to be a part of the Usos penitentiary. But regardless of that happening, you got the New Day and the Usos who seem like Teflon along with the bar. And so, yeah, I see SmackDown winning this one and setting the tone for who's going to get points representing Raw versus SmackDown. On the main card... There's two elimination matches, so we'll go with those ones first before we get into the singles matches. There's a women elimination uh, match with Alexa Bliss captaining the Raw side, even though she's not going to be wrestling due to a concussion. She's going to have Mickey James, Natalia, Nia Jax, Tamina, and Ruby Riot. And SmackDown side is going to have Asuka, Carmella, Naomi, Sonya Deville, and a mystery partner to be determined as they come up. Depending on where this is placed in the card, there are so many things that could change in this match before they even make it to the ring. And part of that I can see with Natalia and Ruby Riot. You're expecting Natalia to work well with Ruby Riot as the only babyface on the team, but at the same time, Ruby had just destroyed Jim the Anvil Nineheart's sunglasses and made Natalia cry because of the memorabilia that it was of her late father. Now that you're expecting them to be on the same team, I can see that possibly becoming a brawl before the match even happens, and then you need two more spots, allowing maybe Bailey and Sasha Banks to fill them to complete that team. If not, there's going to be a lot of dysfunction on the raw brand side of things. And they're going to be down probably two people instantly. Also on the raw side of things, depending on what the office and everybody feels about what happened with Nia Jax and the incident with Becky Lynch on Monday, her treatment during that match could determine what the actual feeling is backstage. Right now, they've been set up to look like a powerhouse team to go and wipe out all the women. If that sort of presentation for Nia Jackson Tamina is not continued, then you definitely know that something is definitely wrong and Nia is going to get punished for what happened with Becky Lynch because essentially... It took a whole lot of things and they had to scrap it and redo everything for SmackDown and for this show in time for this week. And they only had a few hours to do it and reset things. As for the other side, you got Asuka, Carmella, and Naomi, who are former champions, 
Sonya Deville, who's recently, I guess, turned face because Mandy Rose came out and questioned why she was included in the team and Mandy wasn't, and a mystery partner who nobody knows about. Asuka's been teaming lately with Naomi, and her stock has gone so far down that nobody would ever believe that she was once a dominant champion and have a 500-plus day undefeated streak. And you got Carmella that, since she lost the title, has dyed her hair darker and become a fan favorite out of nowhere, teaming with R-Truth. So all their stock has gone really far down. And unless the mystery partner is some sort of game changer that nobody saw coming, I see the raw side winning this. And barring any uh, punishment by Tamina and Naya, especially on Naya's uh, behalf, they should dominate the whole match, regardless of the others being eliminated. And it could end up being a two-person wiping out one whole team, even if Natalia and Ruby take themselves out. So my pick is the women of Raw winning the women's elimination match. The men's elimination match has Raw with team captain Baron Corbin not wrestling in this match, having Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, Finn Balor, Bobby Lashley, and Braun Strowman on the Raw side, going against The Miz, Shane McMahon, Jeff Hardy, Rey Mysterio, and Samoa Joe. I'm really not a fan of this Raw versus SmackDown sort of format, especially when it comes to elimination matches, because of the fact that you have faces and heels trying to work together and supposedly represent their brand for absolutely no reason at all. Because there has not been any incentive of, you know, you guys get blank if the Raw side wins or SmackDown gets something if they win. There's no advantage given to anybody for main eventing a pay-per-view or draft picks or anything like that. And so you have guys who are going to have to try and work together that hate each other on a normal basis. And it just doesn't make any sense. Bobby Lashley is kind of floundering, even now as a heel. Him doing his narcissist act is still not getting over. For whatever reason, they can't seem to find what will get over for him, even though he was successful the first time he was there. Finn Balor has been squashed so much since coming and uh, returning from his injury. And then you got Braun Strowman, who promised to be a good boy and do as he's uh, been asked to do, provided he can get a, his, so that he can get his hands on Baron Corbin and eventually Brock Lesnar. And he's teaming with two guys that he was just in a six-man tag feud with the Shield with, but then has since had them turn his back on him, especially after Drew McIntyre gave him the Claymore kick, like that team in itself is ready to implode. And then the SmackDown side, you get the arrogance of Miz, Shane McMahon, who 
snuck into the World Cup tournament as now the best in the world, Jeff Hardy, a returning Rey Mysterio, Samoa Joe, who doesn't like anybody, and you're missing Randy Orton, who's been attacking Rey Mysterio all over the place. So even that side's got dysfunction. How they're even going to all work together is beyond me. I can see Baron Corbin costing the Raw side their match out of accident because of... As I was saying, I can see Baron Corbin causing some issues with Braun Strowman and getting him counted out and costing the match in the future against himself. Though at the same time, if that costs Raw the uh, win, Stephanie McMahon might have a problem with the leadership of Baron Corbin regardless. They just have to find some way of protecting Drew because he seems to be the number one heel coming out of Raw eventually. Randy Orton can also get involved and cause issues on the SmackDown side. In the end, I can see Team SmackDown winning this one due to the dysfunction of Team Raw. Canada's original and best horror weekend, Shockstock, the all-nighter freighter, comes to London Ramada in April 26th to the 28th. Already announced for the event is Sleazy P. Martini of Guar, and he's coming to Shockstock 2019. So you want to meet the manager with the mostest? You're going to get your wish. The Art of Clown, David Howard Thorne, makes his way to Shockstock. Don't you dare miss it. April 26th to the 28th, 2019, London, Ontario, the Ramada Inn, it's Shockstock. ...here for WWE Now, and on Tuesday, we learned that SmackDown Women's Champion Becky Lynch would not be able to face Raw Women's Champion Ronda Rousey at Survivor Series due to an injury, but we have gone from one highly anticipated match to another as Lynch named her replacement in bitter rival Charlotte Flair. This is my legacy. I'm going to go there Sunday. I'm going to show that there is only one queen and one woman in the WWE, and that's Charlotte Flair. Charlotte will be representing the SmackDown Women's Division for the second year in a row at Survivor Series, and Charlotte said that she proudly bleeds blue. Rousey was still fuming after the champ's attack on Raw, and despite Becky's injury, she did not hold back after the last kicker bowed out of their Survivor Series match. Now, the rowdy champion plans to tear off Charlotte's arm and send it to Becky as a message. I know I am looking forward to this match, and you do not want to miss Charlotte Flair versus the Raw Women's Champion Ronda Rousey this Sunday at Survivor Series, streaming live on the WWE Network at 7, 6 Central. The rest of the Survivor Series card consists of brand versus brand, champion versus champion matches. First up is the tag teams. With Authors of Pain, Akim and Razor, with Drake Maverick in their corner, taking on The Bar. Seamus and Cesaro, with Big Show in their corner. I think AOP definitely need to have something happen for them, as they didn't really squash Seth Rollins to get the titles, even though it was a handicap match. But in this case, AOP needs some sort of victory, and the bar can withstand a loss in this case. The fun part will be seeing Drake Maverick 
with his size, meeting up with The Big Show in what's sure to be a comedy angle. My pick is the AOP. The mid-card titles, the IC Championship and the U.S. title, are going to go against each other as Seth Rollins faces Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura hasn't really done much since his Nakamura gimmick has uh, taken over, but Seth Rollins, one of the best workers on the business today, is embroiled in a feud with his former S.H.I.E.L.D. buddy, Dean Ambrose. This is sure to be a opportunity for Ambrose to sneak attack Seth and cost him the match against the U.S. champion Shinsuke Nakamura. In this case, SmackDown's champion will win and give them another point. In the battle of the world title versus the universal title, the newly crowned champion Daniel Bryan, representing SmackDown, will take on Brock Lesnar, who just uh, regained the Universal Championship at Crown Jewel. This is a dream match that Daniel Bryan has wanted even before he was forced into retirement, and now it can happen since he beat AJ Styles the other day on SmackDown. One can only hope after the serious tossing around that Brock Lesnar did the other day with the Singh brothers and Jinder Mahal that he's been warned to ease off and not do as reckless tossing around as he did on Monday, especially against a vulnerable Daniel Bryan. Last year, Brock Lesnar uh, won the match, taking on AJ Styles, and it was supposed to be them again in a rematch. Who knows what will happen this time, especially now that Daniel Bryan is also a heel. So this makes two heels against each other, and it could go any way. Paul Heyman has been rumored to possibly be looking for somebody to replace Brock Lesnar, and this would keep him on TV and also possibly help Daniel Bryan with his heel turn, because I'm not sure if this heel turn will be successful as the heel turn for Becky Lynch wasn't successful for her, and the fans actually got behind her. Maybe the fans will actually get behind Dana Bryan as a heel with a little more edge to him, because they certainly weren't getting behind him with his face turn as he got to be able to come back. His return has been very lackluster, and apparently he was the one who asked to be able to turn heel. I think Daniel Bryan might be able to hold his own for a little while, but ultimately AJ might get involved with this match because he's not on the card, and he said that it, that Daniel Bryan has a receipt coming to him. So it might not last too long on that end, and Brock Lesnar should get the match. And the women's match got changed thanks to Nia Jax and her reckless uh, throwing of a punch. And it was supposed to be Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch. And as we saw on SmackDown this past week, that Becky had to choose a replacement for her. And this ended up being Charlotte as the replacement. And that kept that match that was supposed to happen at WrestleMania being bumped up by about six months to tomorrow night at Survivor Series. Ideally, they could have easily put somebody like Asuka in there to reheat her up, but I have a feeling there was an initial plan with Becky and Ronda being in the match that might have involved the horsewomen 
going against each other and facing off somehow. And that's why they ended up keeping another WWE horsewoman involved with that match. I honestly think the audience will have Shayna Baszler, Justin Duke, Marina Shafira, Sasha Banks, Bailey, and Becky Lynch on the audience representing their uh, chosen horsewoman and might even get involved in a melee on the outside. Not that Becky can do too much unless she has a last minute clearing in time for uh, taking some sort of bump tomorrow night. But I see this being the initial setup for horsewomen versus horsewomen, whether it's at the Royal Rumble or at WrestleMania, where they could put the Royal Rumble match as Becky against Ronda. So in the end, I do unfortunately see Ronda Rousey winning. They're not going to give her a loss until a later date, most likely WrestleMania, if it's going to happen at all, because she's also said that she wants to eventually have children. So who knows how long she's going to be in the game and WrestleMania will mark her one year of being with the company. And if all this comes true, Raw wins once again the bragging rights for the company. So those are my predictions for tomorrow night at the Survivor Series. See what you think. Share with me your thoughts on Facebook. Have you checked out our latest Scumbags of Wrestling t-shirts? We have the original Superstars of Wrestling inspired Scumbags logo, the Raw's War inspired parody logo, plus now a Survivor Series podcast logo, and a few other logos inspired by Brock Lesnar's Suplex City and property of Scumbags of Wrestling t-shirts. All our t-shirts are made by Daryl over at Twisted Tees. You can find him at TwistedTeesMerch.com. All the shirts are printed right there in his shop in Alora and have amazing quality and first-rate technology to produce these amazing t-shirts. All our t-shirts come in a variety of different colors and can be purchased for $25 each. Tees is known for their great quality and have done work for some of our friends of the podcast such as Vagrancy Films, Shockstock, Rockin' Con, London Comic Con, Kill Effect, and the Monsters of Schlock. Or your t-shirts today through me directly by going to our website at scumbags.ca or contact me on Facebook at the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast and find out how you can get your own shirts and show your pride of being a scumbag at any wrestling event you attend. We're proud to be partnered with Twisted Tees on making these t-shirts, and we hope you help support us and buy one for yourself. Get our full line of t-shirt designs at twistedmerch.com. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm glad you joined us. I hope you share with us your predictions for this weekend with NXT war games and the survivor series. Check us out on our Facebook page and post your predictions for us. 
Be sure to share this podcast and like us wherever you're listening to, whether it's Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, or Google. We'll be back next week with the results from We'll be back next week with the results from Smash Wrestling's Challenge Accepted, NXT, War Games, and Survivor Series. Until next time, thanks for joining me, and we'll see you again. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brent Money Banks, and you are listening to Scumbags of Wrestling. Scumbags is money. Granted, I understand it's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night.